Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Hashtag Product Design Podcast. I'm joined today by none other, none other than Sarah Veselov and we'll be covering the topics of why designers need to be in tune with business needs as much as user needs and the current hesitancy in today's design market. Sarah, absolute pleasure to have you on. Uh, could you please just start by sharing us uh, a quick intro into your career so far? Oh, oh boy. Oh, wow. I wasn't prepared. Um, <laughs> uh, so currently I am the uh, director of design uh, for Honeycomb. Uh, which is uh, observability uh, strictly in that uh, DevOps super technical space, um, which is where I've spent most of my career. Before that, I was um, at CloudBees and before that at GitLab, um, where I, I ran um, design teams. Uh, so I've been doing that for a really long time. Management uh, and building uh, strong design teams is, is really like the space I love to be in. Also really big into design systems, read a book about it. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's an area that uh, I really care about. I think for me, it's all about creating the user experience uh, and that that atmosphere for the team. Um, I'm kind of like the meta of yeah. <laughs> user experience. Yeah, cool. For yeah. those watching, what's the book called that you wrote? Oh, uh, Building Design Systems. I do know the name of my book, I swear. Building cool. Design Systems. No worries. <laughs> well, look, send me, send me the link after this and I'll share it yeah. in the comments when we when we share cool. it so people can, can navigate to it. But look, obviously, again, pleasure to have you on uh, the podcast. For those of you who are listening, um, I we were at the same conference uh, back in September at the Hatch Conference. However, we didn't get the chance to officially meet then. But of course, we got in contact after and I really wanted to use a jump on uh, and speak about the topics that we've we've got on, on task for today. Um, so yeah, um, obviously, um, for those who have watched the previous ones, generally, there's two main topics that we'll cover off uh, throughout the podcast. I've switched it up a little bit for this, um, this part of the series of the podcast I did last year. Um, I think we did 10 episodes last year, actually. And I think this is the 11th episode, as I said in the intro. Um, but this time I wanted to give some ownership over to the, the guests as much as I possibly could to try and pick and choose a topic that was um, you know, personal to them, but a hot topic that they wanted to speak about. Um, and of course, you came up with the, the topic as, as why designers need to be in tune uh, with business needs as much as they do with user needs. Um, so do you want to just you know, give us a quick intro into the topic and you know, why you, you know, thought it was important to speak about it today? Uh, well, gosh, I think there's, there's a lot of different reasons. I think personally, uh, I think, um, it's what held me back in my own career for, for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that it's important. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want others to be held back, yeah. um, trying to help others learn from my mistakes. Um, and it's not that I don't understand business. I have an MBA, um, but I had in my mind kind of separated, the uh, you know business from 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 design um i really saw design as a craft and and being about the user being the voice of the user and i kind of took that business savvy and knowledge and put it out of my mind as i was uh, working in my throughout my career and i kept hitting this wall of of kind of you know, uh, managing up is what they call it, right? When you're, when yeah. you're talking to, to, to um, whether it's a VP of product or engineering or even your CEO, um, it's like we weren't speaking the same language. And, and I knew that I cared about the business and I cared about the numbers, but mm -hmm. I was speaking from a, from a place of craft and quality and yeah. design. And they were just like, what is this? Part? Like, this person does not understand what yeah. we're trying to do here. And I'm like, but I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and it was only when I was able to start meeting with how this 
is going to have an outcome and impact on the business that they mm -hmm. started really listening. And that I started to have more of an impact for my team, right? And at the end mm -hmm. of the day, um, you know, we, we all want to have an impact and we all want to make a difference. And I think that it's, if, if it really is a matter of changing language, mm. it's, it's so easy, right? It's just yeah. kind of that perspective shift. So. Yeah, for sure. For sure. No, I completely, completely understand what you're saying. I think it's, I think we'll, we'll go into further detail a bit in your sort of um, existing experience with your own team and, you know, people you potentially look to hire as well. But I think you, you highlighted it as a problem that, um, you know, designers some of the designers you speak to are really like really focused on being as quality focused and pre presenting as, as best design as possible and things like that but you know understanding businesses is as equally as important as understanding user needs because of course you know you're trying to push the business forwards and the, the business really wants to excel and of course make money at the end of the day as well um but i know um in terms of you know design of course it's a creative space right um but it's not necessarily art as as i know you've said before um yeah. so how how would you describe it from from your perspective <laughs> well i think i think that's a big the, so yeah i mean it sounds harsh when when i say design is an art mm. um but i think that you know design is there to support the business through through combination of, of focusing on the user um, making sure that user needs are net, user needs are met, and that we are listening and hearing and understanding that problem, um, and then using our craft. Right, that's the artistic part. Um, that's mm. the part that probably many of us fell in love with, and are like, how are we going to use this this love of of our artistic nature um, to? I mean, let's be real to have a living, to make money, right? Um, I started out in fine arts and very quickly was like, I'm never gonna make money glass blowing <laughs> yeah. and yeah. like, what the heck am I doing here? Yeah. Um, and so I switched to design because design is a way to apply that to business. Mm. And so I think that to me, you know, um, design is all about functioning on that space between, um, uh, functionality and beauty like there's yeah. this it's this really odd uh, you know it, it's like the difference between a chair and a chair that you're like oh wow that's yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. i want i want to sit in that chair I yeah want to buy that chair mm. um and i think that that's what a lot of us are really striving for mm. um but we forget that you know we have we have to focus on the intersection between our design aspirations, right? That chair that we want people to yeah. buy and the reality of the business that your design is supporting um, at the end of the day. And I think there's this attitude that I've, I've, I've had, I'm not going to lie. I've had like, Ooh, I'm, I'm cheating my users or I'm, uh, I'll never be able to put this in my portfolio. I'll never be able to show mm -hmm. this. Like, I don't want anyone to know that I designed this. And I think that that's a shame to, to look at it this way. Yeah you are working within a set of constraints, right? It could be time. It could be the technology. Um, often it's time and technology, yeah. right? You don't have time to refactor and to go back. And, and so you, you kind of have this limited set and it's really often about getting it out there so that you can get feedback from the user, right? You're not mm. developing something and designing something in this, yeah. in this like space where there, you're in an echo chamber um, because maybe you're going to develop something and design something that's absolutely beautiful and completely mm. unusable. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to look, you know, welcome to dribble, right? You're going to have this 
<laughs> great, yeah, yeah. beautiful thing that like when you yeah. really start using it, it's like, eh, it's not really that usable. So I think that's where I'm trying to help a lot of my designers get to is that it's okay to have two quality bars. Um, the quality bar that you have for when it's, it's really about getting it out there to get feedback and mm -hmm. to iterate and make it mm -hmm. better. And that quality bar for when you're working on a really mature feature and it's something where it's already out there, you've got lots of feedback and it's time to really refine it and make it shine. Um, yeah. And being okay with that. Yeah. That was a no, really long answer. Sorry. No, that's uh, <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. Look, I, I really like the, the comparison you made in terms of, you know, the two chairs that you want to buy or the two chairs you're looking at um essentially they have the same function right you're going to sit on them um but yeah. generally when you're it's, it's the same with any item really you know, if you're looking for yeah. any like handbag or anything you know generally the designer handbags are the ones you want right um but yeah. you know why is that and that essentially you're trying to create the same with the, the design on, on digital products is you know you want people to want to buy this over the competition or want to buy this over over others and how do we do that right. um I think I wanted to discuss a, a topic that I think is quite um, it's certainly relevant to, to what you said before in terms of, of course, you, you know, you have to try and find those those two separate, the balance between the two quality bars that you mentioned. Um, now, the topic I wanted to, to sort of cover off was assumption, right? Um, I think assumption, certainly from you know me speaking to a lot of designers, I think it, it is situational based, um, it is circumstantial, but... Um, I think most designers would want to believe um, that, you know, we should just interact with the users. We should do user research, user testing, interviews, et cetera, et cetera, to really try and understand what they want and iterate and then retest and, and things like that. But yeah. I guess like, you know, what would your advice be if, if someone, let's say someone doesn't have resources um, or, you know, the company doesn't have the time or money, for instance, to invest in research and things like that. Um, how you know how detrimental can assumption be um, in a, in a design process when you're building features and building new products? I mean, let's be real. I think the majority of people that I interview and that I talk to are working in an environment where their interaction with users is pretty minimal, mm. um, and and they're really not getting that ability to you know jump in and talk to people. I've yeah. been very, very lucky. I mean, I worked at GitLab, yeah. which was open source and we had, I mean, it yeah. was easy to interact. <laughs> and then, you know, um, and the same with CloudBees. And now currently we have uh, a Slack uh, channel. So, I mean, it, we have a UX feedback. Mm. So I'm daily getting feedback yeah. and I can ask questions and we can do polls. Yeah. For those that don't have that environment, um, I think that they definitely feel like they're at a disadvantage and they're not mm. learning and they're not growing like some of their peers. Um, but you're in the majority. I think you're in the majority of designers that are often working in a one or two person shop, um, re not reporting to a design manager, mm. really being scrappy. And I think um, assumption assumption is where all things start, right? You'll, you start with an assumption, you start yeah. with a hypothesis. Um, and I think that as long as you maintain that mode that's okay hmm. as long as you don't get to that point where you're like ah, this is it that you don't it doesn't yeah. become too precious right hmm. and you don't fall in love with yeah. your own design hmm. because there is going to be that point where you put it out and you're going to get that feedback hmm. and if you are defensive about that feedback or you just you can't hear it yeah then that's when assumption becomes detrimental mm. um and i think that's when you run and in, run into issues yeah um, and i've seen that as well i've 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 worked with um some people that have just 
uh, not even cared about talking to uh, users and have been like, this is, this is it. Yeah, this <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. that is not it. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. Follow, following on from that, why do you think um, certain businesses, certain product teams don't value the discovery or conception phase as much as they should um is it is it time is it resources you know it's time yeah it's always time. Mm. i really think it's always time i you know even everywhere i've been and i get it like i'm a business owner myself i i you know i, I run a business outside of you know my, mm. my my day job and it is there's a lot of pressure and um I can't imagine if I was running this business with the need to raise funding and with mm. the need to have others invest and then being held accountable for those investments, right? Yeah. I'm just using up my savings, right? I'm yeah. just going to end up yeah. living in a shack at the end of my life. Yeah. But so if you, if you, and I often encourage my designers to think of it from that perspective because there's this feeling of they don't value um, research. They don't value. And it's not that at all. We're, it's about making design bets. If you can look at it as we're trying to make bets as quickly as we can. Um, and I like to look at it as bets because it's, if you make, you know that when you make bets, you're going to lose some, you're going to win some, mm -hmm. right? So if you look at it that way, one that makes it a little bit easier when you lose some, you can kind of shrug it off and keep moving, makes it that much more exciting when you win. Yeah. Um, and then you can also see that the stakes aren't as high because when you see it that way, it's okay to roll something out when it's not perfect. That's that lower quality bar. And you can get that feedback and hopefully mm. iterate on it in these short cycles. And I know that a lot of time you're like, but there's never time, right? They say, they say that we're going to make it better and then we never mm. make it better. I understand. That's, that's a, it's another problem uh, for another yeah. day. Yeah. But, but if you can start shifting that conversation from, from we don't value it to we don't have time for it and starting to find ways to, to make time, mm. to, to start just broadening that gap and saying, okay, we don't have time for this, for a whole, you know, discovery doesn't have to take a month. Mm. Discovery could take a day. Discovery yeah. could take a few hours. You're doing something, um, but it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Mm. And I think that that's the mindset a lot of designers have to have. And I see a lot of this conversation that happens. Yeah. Um, and it's it, a lot of it is is this very black and white. And I'm like, there's like a whole gray area in there that yeah. nobody's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it, it's it's a common problem. Obviously, I, I speak to probably hundreds of designers per per month, um, and it's it's certainly a common problem. I think a lot of them want to be or as as close to be in a position where they do have you know the full scope budget time to, to really delve deeper and, and, and do continuous discovery and keep keep uh, trying to understand what the user wants how they can improve things but as you said time is not necessarily of the essence i think particularly in like fast-paced startups right <laughs> i think you know when when you want to release something quick and you want to get something out quickly unfortunately you don't have the time so you, as you said you know you've got to try and come up with a solution um yeah, yeah what you mentioned about design bets sounds like a pretty good <laughs> good solution <laughs> yeah and and i would also say that a, that dream of right like where you know oh i have all this time and that's a lot of time that's called waterfall and, yeah. and that dream dies too. Like, I'm not going to like, let's be real. Like at, at least um, often in these short agile cycles um, thing, your work is actually getting out to people 
often in these longer, bigger companies that have these really long cycles and they have many, many teams, sometimes what you you design and you put together and you spend two years working on never gets to anybody. Mm. It just gets killed. Yeah. Um, and so um, there are trade-offs to those two different systems. I think it's really about um, what you are comfortable working in. And, and as somebody that always works in startups, I love that, like, go, go, go. Yeah. Um, I'm, a, I'm <laughs> yeah. a doer. Yeah. I'm always looking for people that are comfortable with those shorter cycles and, and can be scrappy about, yeah. about because they have to be right you, yeah you for sure yeah. yeah i think you know essentially the quicker you can release something to get feedback from it the quicker you know whether it's the right thing or whether it, you're even down the right page um yeah. at all right you know if you're yeah. if you're putting together a new feature or you're you know there's a problem with one of your features already if you spend a month for instance uh trying to yeah. understand what the problem is and then you release something it's not right then of course you're a month further down the line when yeah. you know had you done it a bit quicker or you know just tried to at least get some form of feedback a bit quicker then you know you might have been a bit further along um yeah. I, I wanted to go back to the the original topic um in a bit more detail in terms of you know the, the difference between user needs and business needs now what advice would you give designers often there's potentially friction between these two things right um because the business might want to go one direction the users might want to go down another so what advice would you give designers who are you know maybe fighting the same battles that you've had to had to fight um in terms of you know proving why their their work and their design and what the user wants is the right way to go how do you how do you, you know, what advice would you give to, to designers who are fighting that battle at the moment yeah i think um gosh i have so many ideas in my head right now <laughs> <laughs> we're all fighting that first i would say we're all yeah. fighting the same battles like yeah. it i've been doing this so long and and it's it's the same battle every place all the time mm. everywhere and i think that the situations are different based on the people involved the culture involved the type of product so i, I think those are the pieces that change but mm. it's always going to be the same battles and it's always going to be the somewhat the same conversations right um and i think that as designers you know as a as a manager what what i try to do is i try to give as much context to what's happening up top so that they have the ability to to tie these decisions and these these design arguments, mm -hmm. right? Like this is we think this solution makes more sense than this to to what's actually happening at the business right now. So if if our focus is on uh, on acquisitions, right, and getting people through that mm -hmm. onboarding and and signing up and 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 say getting data in, then then I can help my designers make arguments that support that that push, right? That that idea. Um, you don't want to be advocating for something that goes against what the strategy is at this time. Sure. And you, you think that seems like logical, but yeah. I see it all the time. Right? Mm -hmm. I see it all the time. And I think that, that that's one big piece is just making sure that you really understand what the strategy of the company is. You understand mm -hmm. the ecosystem. Where does money come in? Um, what are the different, is it free? Is it, is it, mm. is it, uh, enterprise? Like what are the different tiers you have yeah. um, and what area are you responsible for? So when you're thinking about those things, it's even important to understand how your decisions affect cost. Um, so you may make a decision of, oh, well, if a user comes in, they could do X, Y, Z. Well, perhaps that's going to raise our cost, how much it costs us to run mm. this by x amount and and lower our per 
user. Yeah. So you, you've got to understand these things. Um, and if you don't ask, there's mm. there's so many people in the company that you can you can leverage and talk to yeah. to understand these things, and they love to talk about it. Believe me. Yeah. Like they yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. No, I I agree with you. I think there is certainly I think um, people within the business who are more on the business side than a designer might be, and they might you know designers might not necessarily have a clear understanding of you know how this business runs, why you know how they make money, why they do you know build the products that they've built essentially. Um, but do you think um, there is a little bit of a case to say that some businesses and products, uh, certainly from top down, are not necessarily transparent enough with their product vision and roadmap for the to the to the design oh, yeah. team? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I I think the ones that aren't as transparent, it it they're they're not as clear themselves. I really mm. think that's what's going yeah. on. I think yeah. really that's 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 what's happening. Mm. They just don't know they're they're kind of going between like ah, we think this or we think mm. this or you know you've got you know and and that's a whole other thing mm. altogether um but uh yeah and that's something to look for as a designer you know mm. when, when you're when you're interviewing somewhere and you're talking like if, if they can't articulate a clear strategy mm. um and a clear uh roadmap uh for where they want to go and i mean it again it depends on the where the company is and their, yeah. you know but most companies can say well this is this is where we are and this is where we mm. want to go um that's something you can grab onto and start to 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 use um to, to help the business to i mean it's to your own advantage yeah um there's just just this interesting thing i see happen sometimes is it's, it's almost it reminds me of like teenagers right like i don't want to sell out like, I don't want to sell out. And I'm like, you're not selling out, right? You're, yeah. you're taking this knowledge and you're using it to be the voice of the user, mm. right? Because users are deciding between you and competitors. Yeah. And, and that's the whole purpose of, of, you know, welcome to capitalism. That's the whole purpose <laughs> of the marketplace. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I just try to be real about it. Mm. Um, and I think that the, the more you can ground those arguments, um, in in metrics in kpis in you know the language mm. of the business the more sense you're going to make and the faster yeah. it's going to be to get those things out versus them sitting around until all of a sudden you know we've all had this experience we have an idea maybe we do mm. a mock-up and we you know but we explain about how it's it's going to make this more usable and da, 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 da. Mm. and then nothing happens and six months later uh, a product person or a, a, a 10x engineer is like, wait a minute, I have an idea. And you're like, you mean this idea that I had, you know? Yeah. But they're explaining it in business terms. Yeah. You know? And so the faster we can make those connections, the better we can advocate. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really like that, actually. I think, um, I think as design progresses, um, it certainly becomes a lot more about business understanding and, and things like that. And I think if you're, if you're really trying to explain um or come up with an idea and explain that to c-level to managers to whoever you need to try and explain it to to justify it um i think certainly when you're talking to more of the business side you need to be able to explain it uh, from a business perspective and how that's going to impact in, an, in a positive way um, and have yeah. you know potentially have as much data to back that up as well um yeah numbers speak volumes at the end of the day um and if you can back it up with data of course do so one thing you mentioned there of course was about competitors um now obviously I, from speaking to designers um generally well researchers or designers uh, part of that process is competitor analysis right 
Um, how much focus do you think there should be um, when you're conducting research to really analyze your competitors or what they're doing? Um, do you, and also, do you think, um, I think a, a problem has been that, you know, some businesses see competitors doing it, like I'm saying from the top down, not necessarily designers, but, you know, yeah. some people see what they're doing, that's what we're going to do that, we're going to put it in our app. Um, you know, what's, what's your opinion on, on that topic? <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's so interesting how I've come around on, on this. Um, earlier in my career, because of that phenomenon, which we've all experienced of yeah. like, look, just make it look like this, right? And you're like, oh my God, like they, they don't have the same user base. Like it's not the same flow into it and the same flow out of it. I can't just make it look like that. It's, you know, ah, so frustrating. Yeah. Um, however, um, and so I used to really just get so frustrated and, and kind of avoid it. Um, and did myself a disservice, I think, as, as a designer. Yeah. I think, I think <laughs> it's really important to, to, to have your eyes on competitors and understand. Um, but again, I do it more, less so from the, and maybe that's because, again, I'm, I'm in a management position yeah. and no longer doing IC work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, often what I'm doing is I'm looking at them and thinking, hmm, that's interesting. Why they make that choice? Have, are they shifting who the, 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 the market they're going after? Are mm. they shifting their tactics? Um, are they shifting their pricing plan? Like I'm thinking about those things because yeah. that has a big effect on, on so many things in, in the market and on your position in it. And I think that, um, I think that that is something that designers should at least have an idea is happening mm. um, because well, that and it helps you have an answer for when someone inevitably comes and says, why don't we just make it look like this feature yeah. in this, yeah. you know, I think that then you can say, ah, that's, you know, again, you're going to devil's advocate. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, that's really interesting. Uh, however, and then you can start kind of picking away at mm. how different that experience is because it's for a different audience or it's for a different yeah. um, set of people. Um and then, you know, obviously, whatever crossover there is, you can take learnings from that. Yeah. Um, so I, I really think that it's it's useful in that way. And it helps you kind of keep tabs on, you know, if you see two or three competitors suddenly make really interesting shifts. Yeah. Hmm, are we, did we miss something? Yeah. You know? <laughs> what have they like got that we haven't? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think it's really important to, like, yeah. keep an eye on those things um, yeah. in that regard. Yeah, yeah for sure. I think... Um, you, of course, the, the points you make are really relevant. I think it's it's important for designers not to, you know, immediately assume, oh, they're doing this, we must have to do it. Let's go and build it straight away. I think it's, of course, as you mentioned, it's, as soon as it has been noticed and it's seen, you know, do your, your do some thorough research into why this is happening. You know, what are they actually trying to achieve by this, and will it benefit us? Um, of course, you know, the 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 board and the the you know the C level will of course appreciate if you have noticed it and of course it would benefit them by doing it but you know you've got to try and understand and delve a bit deeper into it before you start looking at doing it as well um cool now I wanted to go on to the second topic that we wanted to cover off in today yeah. now this topic is really relevant in today's market um, as a recruiter unfortunately probably eighty to ninety percent of the conversations I'm having with designers at the moment are some who have been laid off recently from companies or have left company to join another company and contracts have been rescinded or taken away before they've even got to join the business. Um, 
So in a, it's a really, really tough market at the moment. Um, but I think it's a really relevant topic, a really relevant topic to, to talk about. Um, so I wanted to, the first question I wanted to ask you, why do you think there are so many layoffs happening at the moment? <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, markets, 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 markets. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and I talk to a lot of designers that really don't, um, they, and a lot of people, but I would say, you know, designers, especially um, if we're talking about, you know, shares and, and mm. compensation, then they're like, I don't yeah. understand anything about stocks. I don't understand. Mm. You really need to. You really need to. Yeah. Um, it's it's a it's a bargaining chip. It's a bargaining point. Um, but also understanding why markets go up and down, um, you know, and being able to anticipate a little bit this kind of up and down will help you in in the long term. Yeah. And I think that um, you know a lot of people saw this coming because it, it, things were so bullish for so long. Mm. Um, even though things weren't that great, we're like, hmm, there's a strange sense of false optimism happening. <laughs> yeah. This, is, this yeah. is, you know, and people are hiring, 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 even mm. though the numbers weren't that good yeah. um, across. And so I think a lot of us were like, yeah, this is, this is, it, it's inevitably going to, this bubble will yeah. burst. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing as people finally realize that, you know, you can't live on hopes and dreams. Um, money has to follow. And so what's happened is a lot of investors have started getting nervous uh, with inflation and with the things going on in economies and you've got mm. wars and you've got yeah. instability in the yeah. U.S. political sphere, which I will not go into. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> all of these things make a difference. Yeah. And so what people are doing is they're, they're playing it safe and they're being more conservative. So mm. less money is being invested in, in certain areas. And so companies are tightening their purse strings. Mm. Um, the, for, the number one cost of, it, of any company is going to be um, their employees, their workforce. Yeah. Mm. Um, I know this myself. Uh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Mm. Um, if I didn't have to pay employees, yeah. you know, for my own business, um, I could run it indefinitely. Yeah. Um, but so that's, that's the number one place that you can, you can immediately cut costs and see a difference mm. and extend out your runway. So you're looking at a lot of companies that rely on VC funding that rely mm. on money coming in, um, they have they have what they call a runway, right? That's an, an amount of money that you yeah. have raised, and then you have a certain amount of time till that money just runs out. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, most businesses have done a really they have a good CFO who's done due mm. diligence in in really calculating that out. I would not want to be that person. No, yeah, me neither. <laughs> yeah, do not envy them whatsoever. <laughs> no, calculating that out, yeah. and as as you start to get closer to that date, you have to start dropping things so that you can mm. extend that date out. So that's yeah. what we're seeing. Yeah. Um, and the interesting thing, though, is that there are a lot of, of uh, VCs that want to invest. Um, so there is a lot of investing going on, but mm. it's it's going on at the much earlier stage startups. So mm. you're seeing, I think, this this fear, you know, the, the, the money coming out of the Twitters and Metas and all of these bigger companies that are doing layoffs. The boon is going to the, the small startups mm. um, because they don't need as much. They're really scrappy and they're there to disrupt the markets that are now proving to be hmm, yeah. maybe not performing as well. Mm. So it's this cycle. Um, 
that yeah. people just have to kind of like, it sucks to be in it, but I think also you just kind of have to take a deep breath and realize that it's going to come back up. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think, yeah, yeah I, I really agree with everything you said. I think um, obviously my, the main market market I'm recruiting is in Berlin now, I think obviously similar to Silicon Valley and things like that. There are a lot of startups that, that get yeah. founded in Berlin. Um and I agree with you. I think certainly the ones that we've seen who have been doing the most layoffs are those startups that are probably like Series C, Series D, something like that, who have already you know received quite you know substantial venture capital, and off the back of that, probably gone through some form of hyper growth phase in the last you know year or two. Um, yeah. But of course, with investors being a little bit more hesitant, a bit more cautious about what they're investing in, um, and I think just because of the downturn because of the the inflation financial markets essentially most of these you know most of these digital companies are selling things right they're selling products and if you know mm -hmm. companies the general wealth of the the world and market that they're in is is decreasing and less people are buying their product yeah. or wanting to use their product um of course the the revenue that was hoped to to be made by that point from the investors perspective is, is, it was probably a lot less than they you know originally sort of pitched it to be um and that yeah. and that being said as soon as yeah as you said if as soon as they run out of that runway and they're like well we grew this amount but you know we haven't really quite hit our like user targets or we haven't quite you know made the revenue targets or whatever we you know we were set um then of course as you said the first place they go to is right we're gonna have to get rid of pretty much everyone we hired <laughs> before and uh, just yeah. to sort of increase runway and start again a little bit um but we've still got the work they've done over the last year or two um yeah but yeah um in terms of hyper growth um this is obviously a again i think a big reason as to why we are seeing so many layoffs at the moment specifically in the startup world i would say um yeah because I think it's been such a common theme that, as I said, when people probably at 2021, maybe start of 2022, um, companies who announced big rounds of funding um, then thought, well, you know, we, we've got a real chance to, to grow here and, a lot, and invest a lot of money into, into growing as well. Um, I've spoken to lots of, lots of people, I've spoken to hiring managers as well who've been the hiring managers in the hyper growth phase and they've all said similar things as to, because the growth is so aggressive, um, quality was often sacrificed for quantity of just bringing people in because we needed to, because that's what we've told investors that we're going to do, or, you know, the C the directors decided that that's what we're going to do now. Um, why do you think hyper growth and that type of approach was so common? Like, and it's, you know, it's probably still common, maybe not so much now, but like certainly over the last few years, it's been the common way to use the you know, investment that they've received from these venture capital partners. God, I thought about this before. Um, and I, I experienced this at GitLab um, yeah. when, when they got there, I think it was the series D can't even remember just i mean it's just it's like everything exploded and, and it yeah. was like well, where am i even um you know and and that's part of why i'm still where i'm at after three years i mean mm. three years at a startup is like cool i could get a little old i think i need a cane at this point i'm like <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm here a while. Um, but but because i i really like the fact that we're very careful and we're very you know uh, pragmatic about things yeah um, but I think that it's that mythical man uh, idea. Um, we've all been on the project mm. where um, they're like, if we just bring in one more person, we can get X amount 
done. And it's like, no, actually, you're just going to make it that much slower because we're all going to have to get slower to, yeah. to onboard this person mm -hmm. and explain everything that we all ha already have in our heads. Mm -hmm. If you would actually just give us less meetings and more focus time, yeah. we would get more done. And I think that's what's happening at a lot mm -hmm. of these companies. There's this idea. And I think there's definitely areas of a company that need more people. Mm. Um, I've, I've seen it many times where you've got one area that you're, you're hyper growing and you're slowing mm. everybody down because, because you're doing interviewing and you're onboarding and, and you're just, you can't move as fast because you're kind of dragging everybody slower and then seeing these scrappy, particularly in areas like marketing, for some reason, you know, you've got a team of, of two people trying to run like the most unbelievable amount of stuff. And you're like, why, why are, what, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that this is a systematic problem in startups. Um, and I often wonder, you know, I don't have enough, I'm not high enough off, uh, high enough off, up to understand like where this comes from mm. um, in terms of like where the allocation happens yeah. um, and where they decide. But it seems yeah. to me it's often in engineering um, yeah. and design oh, yeah. that they, yeah. they think they're going to get the most bang for their mm. buck. And often I think that that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I agree. I think most hypergrowth phases I've seen or even been a part of with some of the clients I've worked with, engineering definitely is the probably the, like, obviously, I, I don't know necessarily yeah. for the other parts of the business, but certainly yeah. in tech. Engineering mm -hmm. is always the department that goes boom, <laughs> you know, double, know. It doubles, triples. And then, yeah. yeah, I think some get to a certain point. They're like, well, we've got 60 engineers now. We need probably need some product managers and designers to work with them, right? <laughs> so then they go boom. Exactly. With them too. Um, but yeah, yeah, and then, as I said, I think the, the quality was always the problem, certainly with the people I've spoken to have hired during this, this phase because, yeah, there's just pressure on them. You know, there's pressure to hire. Yeah, um, yeah a lot of much to my demise and frustration a lot of the clients i work with are quite picky about who they want but i completely respect yeah. and understand where that comes from because of course right. i think everyone knows that making the wrong hire costs a lot more um, yeah. than, than making the right one if you take a little bit more time um yeah. but then yeah generally during the hyper growth phase um and this i think there's there's such a problem with turnover during those phases as well right you know staff turnover people come in it's hectic it's you know I've got six different managers in the first six months, you know, what's happening, what's, I'm yeah. teams three different times already. And then it entail becomes a lot of a, a turnover situation. It's very hard to retain staff at that point because you get the sort of reputation. Everyone knows, you know, design's a yeah. small place. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, then it's about culture too, because m most companies, I mean, in my experience, most companies, engineering is the most mature because mm. you start with, you know, founders, yeah. some engineers, and they're like, ah, design, yeah. whatever, product, ah, whatever. <laughs> they come in later. Yeah. And so you get into a situation as well where they think they're going to get in, um, you know, and I've been this person, they think they're going to get in a, a senior IC designer who's going to build out a team. And within six months, they're going to have the most unbelievable, delightful, beautiful UI they've ever had. Mm. And it's like, ah, I really hate to break it to you, but it takes time and it takes a lot more than one person yeah. or five people. Um, it's it's about growing the maturity of, of that part of the org. And if they grow, if they come in at different times and different rates then you've got these kind of unequal parts and uh, it's just yeah. a, it's a real cluster
Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, when it comes to funding and raising investment, um, of course, as I said, you know, Berlin is, is a very you know, startup hub. Um, there's lots of startups that prop up, still propping up now. Um, you know, most most weeks, most most months, there's new companies coming out. Um, now, when when a company, a new company is looking to receive investment, you know, if they're going to go down that route, which most companies do, right? Most companies do look for outside investment. It's very rare to see a company that hasn't been, um, you know, received any outside investment in its in its uh, time. Um, but when they are looking to raise this investment, um, you know, when they go to the investors and, and sort of pitch to them and say, this is our company, this is what we're hoping to do. What, what are the main things that investors look at with their business to say, yeah, this is worth investing in at that point? Oh, boy. There's a, there's a few, and I won't go too deep because yeah. you start your eyes glaze over. Um, <laughs> at least mine do. Um, yeah. <laughs> and this is the thing about business metrics, right? Yeah. Like like you don't have to become a mathematician, right? Mm. Uh, you, but you do have to understand the basics of, of what these things mean, um, and how how your work can have an impact on these numbers. Yeah. I think that's the most important part. Um, I mean, the first thing, and this goes into our talk about competitors, is um, you know. How crowded is the market? Um, if you're too niche, right, and it's just a very small segment that's that's not likely to grow over time, eh, you know that that's not a place to invest your money, yeah. right? It, it's really there's not a, a large um, potential for that. So I think a lot of uh, investors are looking for something new, something different um, that is going to come in and, and disrupt. I hate using that word. I feel, I feel like I should be in a TED talk right now. They're going to disrupt and yeah. you know make an impact. Um, I honestly, at this point, like it just, I don't even know what that would look like. I think like, I feel like everything's been done. Um, yeah, oh, nice. So, so I don't know, but that's why it's important to understand your competitors and, and the marketplace and, and what's, what's out there. Um, you know, if, if, if you're, if you're a company that's establishing something new, you're kind of forging a, a new path off of something that is kind of old and established. That's interesting to investors. That's, mm. hmm, this is really interesting. They could yeah. really be putting something new or it could be seen as niche, right? You really have yeah. to have a good CEO who can, who knows how to, to pitch it and spin it in a way that's exciting and seems like something that really could grow. So I think that's really important, um, especially in the beginning. Um, and then you get into things, uh, depending on where you're at, like your your run rate, total revenue. Um, so what is the the performance? Like how much how much money are you bringing in? Yeah. Um, I want to know, um, you know, understanding the current performance um, and how much revenue you're generating. Um, so that you can start making projections, right? So yeah. if we were to get X amount more business, how could this revenue grow? Um, and another would be um, gross margin percentage. So yeah. it's your your total revenue minus yeah. the cost of, of your operation, yeah. right? Um, a lot of startups are operating it there's no revenue yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> i mean let's be let's be real like yeah. a lot of them, there's, there's no revenue um that's what's so different like i own a small business i own like a, a physical cafe business yeah and there is no funding for us like you have to be operating three years and actually yeah. make profit to even get a small business loan yeah it's totally different from the startup world yeah um, 
But some other numbers that you can think about as a designer is the lifetime value of a customer mm. um, and then the customer acquisition cost. And so these are two numbers that I think are really important to think about. Um, so lifetime value is, is like how much does a customer actually bring in? Like mm. what's the lifetime value of a customer to the company? Yeah. Um, and then customer acquisition cost is how much does it cost us to bring someone in, right? Um, and then you can actually do another number of, of how long does it take us to recover that? There's a name for that. And I, that, that one's escaping me right now. <laughs> yeah. um, but it might even, they just might even use the same thing. They might just call it CAC. Yeah. You'll hear it called CAC a lot. Yeah. But basically it's like, you know, how long? And it's often it's it's something like you know 20, 24 months twenty you know there's there's a time uh, I think anything under two years is considered to be good. Um, don't quote me anybody. Else. I, might be wrong. I might be wrong. Look yeah. it up. Um, <laughs> I have this calcula. I do I do numbers up. Um, <laughs> so like all of these things I think are um, and you can look this up. Yeah. Like this is not something that you know you have to. Um, have to have gone to school for, um, you know, you can can look these things up, get familiar with the terms, and then find out from your own company, like, what are the things that you, your company cares about? What yeah. are the things that your company is really following right now? Because it may, it's going to change over time, depending on what series you're in, um, and what the market looks like. Yeah. So. Do you think, um, you know, of course, you're talking about um, coming up with projections for the business. Now, when I'd say, when oh, of course, when you receive that first round, or let's say you receive any round of investment, right? And and you you often, well, I assume you you probably tell the investors, you know, we're projecting this um, for by the next round or by X time or whatever it might be. Um, do you think misled projections sometimes lead to bad things happening? <laughs> oh God, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I think um, I am, am have never been part of those conversations um you know as a director i'm I'm managing managers and i'm managing ic's um i'm part of the conversations that help um bolster those talks um which is fine by me Uh, (laughs) totally i'm totally good with that um but i think um it's again it's interesting i use my own experience you know running a small board game cafe where I'm having these conversations and I'm just, I'm very pragmatic. I'm very straightforward. Yeah. Um, I'm not a bullshitter. And I've had conversations where they're like, well, give us projections, you know, talking about loans or talking yeah. about, you know, borrowing money to, to help grow my business. And they're like, well, what do you project? And, you know, I'll throw something out there and they're like, sure. It's not more. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just, you know, and I mean, yeah. you literally are making things up. Yeah. Um, and so there, I think there is there is a line between aspiration and reality. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think some some places, companies, people blur those lines a little bit. Yeah. I'm not I'm not comfortable doing that. That's why I'm not a yeah. person. I'm not yeah. a salesperson. <laughs> cool. Um now um obviously going back to the, the design market, so the hiring market specifically. Um, of course, we we determined in in uh, the previous uh, conversation that 
it is a very hesitant market at this moment in time. And I think from both sides, right? It's hesitant. It's hesitant. Yeah. Well, you've got, I think you've got three sides of it right now. Haven't you? You've got hesitancy from companies to hire because they don't want to, you know, they're really tightening their purse strings, as you mentioned. You've got hesitancy from passive candidates who, oh, sorry, passive candidates. I'm talking about a recruiter. <laughs> passive <laughs> designers. <laughs> so, so used to saying it. Passive designers um, who, and when I say passive, I, I, I mean the designers who right now aren't you know, looking for a new job hasn't really come across right. their mind at this moment in time, right? Um, I think there, there's always different levels of how passive and how active you really are because I think often I speak to designers and say, you, you know, are you looking for a new role at the moment or are you just, you know, passively seeing what's out there? Like, um, like semi-actively, I'd say. <laughs> like, well, you are then. <laughs> yeah. um, but then you've got the, of course, you've got the designers who have been laid off now. So they're, for, you know, they're in a forced position now to look for, for new, for new uh, roles. Now, I wanted to ask what your advice is um, for specifically for the laid off designers at the moment, because, of course, there are yeah, a lot of them now. Um, and although some might be really talented and come from, you know, big tech companies or, you know, come from really established businesses or, you know, wherever they've come from, unfortunately, they're now in a position where not only are they competing against the passive candidates that someone like myself has somehow managed to convince to look into something new, um, but they're now competing against the other hundreds of laid off designers. And it's become, I think, ever so more important to have, you know, a real, priority to make sure you know your portfolio is up to date make sure it looks good make sure it's you know where it needs to be and make sure your cv is all you know all nice and, and done um but yeah what, what advice would you give to designers right now who have been laid off yeah the first advice is don't panic don't panic i think the 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 and it's, it's like telling someone who's mad to calm down, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, don't tell me to calm down. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> at least that's how I would respond. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, I think, you know, you've survived worse than this and mm. you'll be okay after this. When you, when you start to panic and you start to, um, to get into that mode, um, one, you make bad decisions. Um, and you don't want to end up in a place uh, just to end up back in this position again, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't want to end up, you know, choosing or choosing a place either that isn't a good fit so that, that you end up kind of on the yeah. other side real quickly or um, choosing another place that is just going to go through another round of layoffs. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's really important to, uh, as much as you can, take deep breaths and or whatever works for you. Mm. Um, I do boxing. That works for me. Nice. And, uh, <laughs> and that's my, my outlet. Yeah. And, um, and, and stay calm because um, going into the interviews, I think the reason why often passive candidates have an advantage over candidates that don't have a job right now is passive candidates come across as more confident um, because they don't care, right? Yeah. They have a job. They're yeah. not desperate. They yeah. don't feel this need to impress um, or to to be perfect, um, mm -hmm. and they just present better because they're they they're themselves, yeah. um, and they answer very honestly. And I see so many candidates who are so qualified and and so awesome, just flail because they're so nervous and they're mm -hmm. so desperate um, that they don't perform as well. Yeah. Um, so I think that uh, as much as you can, as much as you can, to stay yeah. calm, um, you know, and. And every, every hiring manager is different. Every company is different. Yeah. And I, I see it out there. I see, you know, for me, the portfolio um, is not as important 
Um, but I'm not every hiring manager. I think, yeah. um, you know, I'm more interested in your process and, and how you approach things because I, you know, I look at portfolios and of course I'm looking at the work, but I also recognize that a lot of the output comes through the lens of constraints and time mm. and, you know, and, and it's tough. And also working a full-time job, um, in design and keeping up with your portfolio. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. You know, like my portfolio is like ridiculous. It's so old. Yeah. Um, don't go look at it, anybody. Please, you know, okay. um, <laughs> yeah. You can just go look at my book instead. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, in management candidates, it's a whole other level. Like if you're a yeah. manager, you're not doing IC work. Um, and I see management candidates being asked for, yeah, no, for IC. Not, and I'm yeah. like, what are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I would never ask for that. Um, yeah. You know, so I think that that a lot of the pressure is ridiculous and just remind yourself of that um, yeah. because it's, it's, it'll help you. It will really yeah. help. Yeah. I just wanted to end on uh, Sarah, just, um, I know you mentioned when, when people were looking for, for a new job, something you mentioned earlier was that when they're speaking to a hiring manager or someone who's interviewing them, be sure to ask them about, you know, what the product roadmap is and try and get a clear understanding of that. Um, yeah. What what other questions would you say are, are really effective to ask? You know, if if you were sitting across from me and I was, you know, you're interviewing me, um, what questions would you like to hear from me? Um, uh, in terms of you know, how I can understand whether this is the right opportunity for me or not, whether it's the right culture, you know, design maturity. You know, what what questions would you advise people to ask during interviews to get an actual clear picture of whether this opportunity is right for them? Yeah, and I'm I'm really huge on making sure that it's a, it's a mutual fit. Like that's mm. really important to me. Yeah. I don't go into interviews with like uh, I'm not holding onto a lever, waiting to like yeah. one wrong answer, and I like eh, yeah. through the trap yeah. door. Like, yeah. I'm the cheerleader for everybody that comes in. I'm like I'm rooting for everybody that yeah. I interview, and but it has to be a mutual fit. So I'm often looking for is this the you know how can I grow you? How can I help mm. enable you to grow and mature and become more of who you want to be as a designer? Mm. And so I'm often, you know, listening for questions about um, what's the opportunity for growth. Um, I want, I, I really want to hear questions about what is the culture of the team in terms of um, whatever matters to you, but, but is there a critique culture is, you know, mm. do, do we get together uh, off, you know, off grid or off yeah. of offline, you know, how does that happen? Those kinds of things. Um, I'm also listening for, are you asking questions about the business? Are you mm. asking questions about what metrics you're held to? Um, are you held to any metrics? Mm. Um, you know, when you're designing um, and how are those things determined and do you have a say in how those are determined? Um, not every company does yeah few do um but we do and so i think it's really important i'm looking for designers that are going to come in and yeah. are going to have a say and want to have a say yeah. in how we we push those metrics forward yeah yeah i think this this is a big thing that i try and help designers with as much as possible when i'm speaking to them about the interview process and trying to prepare them for the, for the interview because i think the interview as much as i want it to be you know i think it should always be like a especially the, I think the introductory one, right? The introductory call, we yeah. get to know each other for that first time. It should be just a really open and honest conversation about things, yes. right? I think the more comfortable the hiring manager can make the, the candidate feel, the better you're going to get them performing in the interview, right? Um, 100%. Because they feel so much more comfortable. They, the pressure is instantly instant released and they can talk freely and they, they talk 
as you said, more like the passive candidates that come in and know they've got a job and, and are really confident in that sense. Right. Um, but I think the questioning that they ask the interviewer um, is often something they don't really consider that is, you know, affects the way the interview goes. Because I think I think people have too much focus on, I, I smashed all of the questions that they asked me, right? I think I gave like really good answers to all the questions they asked me. And then I'll get the feedback from the client and say, yeah, like, they answered all our questions well but you know they didn't really ask too many questions to me and yeah. it didn't really seem like they cared i think the, the common perception that you get from someone that doesn't ask any questions or doesn't ask very detailed or very intuitive questions is that they're not really bothered you know they don't really care too much specifically for our company right and i yeah. think that if you want especially for the job you really want to get um i always advise everyone i work with go away and sit down and probably come up with like 10 questions that you think you want to ask during this interview process now you're not you might not get to answer them ask them all during the call i think it's good to have them written down in front of you so you know if you haven't asked them then ask them at a later date um but these questions should cover off all different areas you know it should be team culture company products growth you know it should you should cover off as much as you possibly can because essentially you are interviewing this company to be your potential future employer right um i think that's it's such a common mistake um that designers make is that or anyone makes it interviews generally but it's just don't focus too much on how well you answer their questions of course try and smash it as much as you can but yeah come prepared come as prepared as you can with your own questions to show that you do really care about you know your potential role at this new company yeah yeah because i mean it's it's a two-way street and and i think that's the thing a lot of people forget particularly in in the us mm. i mean I, I will say I, I don't know how it is in berlin uh, berlin is amazing by the way i can't wait to go back uh, <laughs> really excited. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know in the us i mean if you know your job your healthcare is tied to your job mm. um, so much is tied to your job here you can get yourself it, it is easy to kind of get into this fear position where you're yeah. like i just need to get a job i just need mm. to get a job and it's like, don't get yourself there. Don't get yourself there mm. because because you you probably can do better. Um, so yeah. so remain calm and ask those questions and make sure that that this feels like the right situation for you. And if you yeah. are getting like that tingly feeling of like, mm, like I didn't like that interaction mm. or I didn't like the way that they answered that, it's like take that. Don't just yeah. discount it. It means something. Yeah, um, it really does. Yeah, for sure. I think it's just yes sometimes it becomes a little bit of a desperate situation but try yeah. try your, your hardest not to fall into the trap of you know taking the first thing that comes you know i, yeah. I think design will always bounce back the market will always bounce back yeah, um so yeah there'll be plenty of opportunities in the future but look sarah really really appreciate your time um yeah. for those of you watching below i will put the link to sarah's book on design systems um for anyone to have a look at or purchase i assume it's for, for purchase right <laughs> it is it is and i have a co-author yeah. nice. so it's it's not yeah. mine alone tori davis uh is cool. my co-author and she's no fantastic. Worries. i don't want to i don't want to be in jail <laughs> yeah. you're welcome she's like wait a minute it's not your book yeah <laughs> yeah taking full credit for it um but yeah look again sarah really real pleasure um make sure everyone tunes in for the next episode which will be coming very shortly um but yeah thanks very much sarah and we'll speak yeah. soon <laughs> awesome thanks <laughs>